0: and welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. And yes, I am wearing the same shirt as the last interview because sometimes <laughs> we do back to back interviews and then I'll talk about the shirt in a second. But I'm Jen Amos. I am the founder, producer and co-host of the Filipino American Woman Project. And this show would not be possible without my co-host Nani Dominguez. So Nani, welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, and we're excited because every time we get to do another show, it means that we get to interview another incredible person in our community. But before we get into that, I want to give some announcements, as I always do. So first and foremost, if you haven't already, pull out your phone, especially if you're already listening from your phone, you know, that might as well. And put down our number. Our number here at TIFA Project is 415-484-8329. Or that's the letters TFAW, as in the Filipino American woman. So once again, that's 415 484 and feel free to text us or leave us a voice message, especially if this conversation resonates with you and you want to let us know. That's our phone number. Nani and I, and I mentioned this a couple of times already on our show, but we like to set healthy boundaries with social media. And so a lot of our time now is being spent on our newsletter. So if you want to be in community with us or you want to collaborate with us or contribute to the newsletter, check out the show notes of this episode or visit tfaproject.com, tfawproject.com to sign up and subscribe to our newsletter. We'd love to have you on there. Speaking of our website, tfawproject.com, our website wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for our sponsor, Captivate. So that's the shirt I'm wearing right now. I'm going to pull it kind of over here. And Captivate is a really great podcasting platform for new podcasters who don't want to go through the hassle of putting a website together. Like they don't want to deal with coding or, or anything. And so it's a really easy way to get started. And if you are on WordPress, you could actually just use, what is it? Captivate has a plugin for WordPress so that you can just add your podcast show on the website that you already have. So thank you to Captivates for being our sponsor. And if you want to get an idea of what their websites look like, again, you can check out our website, tfaproject.com. Very user-friendly, very mobile-friendly, just very friendly, very friendly website. And of course, I always like to encourage people, if you enjoy our show and you want to tell the world, we would appreciate you leaving us a five-star written review. Nothing else. If you're thinking about anything less than a five-star, just just don't. Just tell me. Tell me. (laughs) Like you can text me at 415-484-8329 and tell me why you're thinking about giving me something less than a five-star. I'm just kidding, but not kidding. So would love to hear from you and really, you know, give our show that representation and share with the world, you know, why the show is awesome. And that's it. That's all the announcements I have. Nani, anything from you? Nope, that's it. Cool. Happy. All right. So with that said, let's go ahead, Nani, and introduce our guest for today. Yay. Okay, everyone say hello to Raquel Villanueva
1: Ding, self-taught chef, pharmaceutical associate director, and solidarity
0: advocate. Raquel, welcome to the show. Hi,
1: guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, it's it's absolutely our pleasure having you. We were totally into stalking you like we usually do with our (laughs) guests. And I just have to say, I love the work that you're doing. I know that Nani had reached out to you, but why don't you share, you know, why did you say yes to join us on our show and share your story?
2: I just, I love what you guys are doing and really creating this amazing space for women like us to uplift each other. And I think times like this, it's so important to embrace who we are in all our unique ways and differences. So I think it's great that you guys are doing that and creating a space where, you know, we can just give positive vibes for each other because we all know there's just so much negativity out there. So the more positive we can push, I think it's amazing and it's beautiful. So wanted to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think It's just so easy to be negative. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to put people down, right? But it's so much harder to focus on positivity, focus on gratitude, and focus on creating something that's useful for not just yourself, but for other people. So thank you for being a part of it by being part of the conversation today. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. All right, cool. So Raquel, this show, we are constantly expanding the definition of Filipino American women. And I typically get into the whole definition, like how we dive into it. But I would just love for you actually to share your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Yeah, for sure.
2: And I feel like that's such an interesting question, because maybe had you asked that question to me 15 years ago, I feel like my definition of like, my identity would be so different than what you know, I define myself as now, which is absolutely Filipino American woman. So my parents came here from the Philippines in the 80s. And I consider myself first generation Filipino American, they came from the Philippines, and they met here in the States. And they got married in New Jersey. So I grew up on the East Coast in New Jersey for the majority of my childhood through high school. And then now I reside in Philadelphia, which is not too far away from where I grew up. So about two hours. Um, I think growing up was different for me because I grew up in a predominantly white town. And if someone was to ask me how I identify myself, I would say American. Mm-hmm. And being Filipino was kind of a side thought. It was this idea of I live in America, I wanna blend in. I don't wanna stick out. Because I already stick out by the way that I look. Mm. I don't wanna stick out now because eating some funky food in, you know, at lunchtime. I don't want to stick out because my mom is speaking in different language than other people. So I felt like I didn't truly identify as a Filipina American woman until I was in my twenties when I was like, damn, I'm proud. I'm proud of my parents for working their ass off so that we could have a better life. Like I truly didn't realize how much my culture played a part in creating who I was until later in life. And I feel like I missed out on a lot of my culture growing up because I was too busy trying to fit into the majority. And a lot of my time being creative in my food venture and sharing my culture, not only just to share what it's like to be Filipino, but to encourage others to embrace everything about themselves that makes them different. Because I think it's truly beautiful when you can appreciate how you are, you know, who you become without trying to like fit a mold, which it becomes tough, right? I feel like as women, we, you know, try to fit this mold of who we think we're supposed to be until we realize, fuck it, I'm going to be who I want to be. And if the world loves me cool, and if they don't, I'm good too. So I think I've reached that point in my life where I'm happy being who I am without trying to fit any type of definition.
0: Yeah, I think that's so powerful. It gets me to think about You know, I think fitting in, especially starting from childhood, was a form of survival. We needed to. We needed to fit in. You know, we had to follow whatever our parents were, you know, whatever house rules they had set on us. And then, you know, being American, when you start to venture out, it's like, you start to realize you don't have to do that anymore or you don't have to fit in anymore. And I think it's like that interesting transition of like, okay, do I continue to try to fit in? Or like, I just think kind of that transitional moment where you're like, okay, I'm gonna embrace who I am. It's such a courageous act. And a lot of times it's like a voice that we hear inside. It's like, you don't have to do that anymore. Like you can be who you want to be now. And some people still are waiting to maybe get permission for that you know, to say like, hey, you can go off and be yourself now. Like, it's okay. Like, you're going to survive, you know? And so that's a little bit about what I was thinking of when, as you were sharing your story.
2: Yeah. And I always found it interesting too, as like relative to other Asian American or Asian groups, it's interesting for Filipinos because when, you know, our parents came here or their parents, you know, depending on what generation you are, they came to America already speaking English. Like they're very you know, they speak English in the Philippines. So I feel like it's such an interesting dynamic when you think about Filipinos coming to the States because it's much easier for them to assimilate. They already speak the language. They mm-hmm. not necessarily like other Asian groups where they had to gravitate towards communities where there are a lot of Chinese people or Korean mm-hmm. people. Like there were a lot more Filipinos going to areas where maybe there wasn't a big Filipino community. So I feel like it's such an interesting dynamic when you think about how Filipino culture in america has become such a blend with western culture already because that already existed back home in the philippines when there was so much western influence already from the spanish from the americans and now they came to america so like our culture is almost like it's already diluted a bit right we already right diluted more because now we're in america and i kind of have got to this place where now it's this new culture this filipino american culture which doesn't make us any less filipino it's just now becomes this new kind of like subcategory of filipino culture so i feel like there's also this interesting dynamic where you know some filipinos come here and they kind of look and i've experienced this and i don't know if you guys have experienced this where more traditional filipinos kind of look at filipino americans as oh you're not filipino enough
0: mm-hmm. and that's right. always
2: that kind of like intersection of you're not quite filipino but you're not quite american and then you kinda have to find justification of being in this like in between. But that's okay. And it's and I'm at that place where it's like embrace it. Like it's great to be in between two beautiful cultures. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely
1: felt that or observe that I should say in like Filipinos from the Philippines and Filipinos that live here or Filipino Americans. And it's like, yeah, there are definitely, you know, some distinct like differences in practices and traditions and just ways that we live our lives because we live here in America and we benefit from certain privileges that just aren't in the Philippines. And so of course we've developed our own kind of subculture. But again, the way that we're raised and the way that our culture has been conditioned is to compare and to compete so Mm. much, not only within our community, but outside of it as well. So growing up, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in our last episode, and I know that this is just a running theme that people have felt is As they get older, there's some point in their life, whether it's you have a kid or you have a bad breakup or whatever kind of catapults you into your identity crisis where it's like, oh, now I have to redefine what being Filipino American means and what that looks like on me. Like our last guest had said, you know, it it looks different on everyone. And I think that we're kind of coming to a head in our community, at least to where we can really respect and appreciate that difference instead of ostracizing people for it.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's amazing. And when I had started my food venture, and I do pop-ups, I knew that I wasn't going to create dishes that were traditional Filipino dishes. Right. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to create something that was truly reflective of how I grew up, where my mom was cooking Filipino food, but she did such a good job of also cooking other things that regular American kids would eat. So I've always had this really cool blend of Filipino flavors and American food. And that's what I wanted to show through my cooking to create these dishes that were nostalgic of Filipino flavors, but maybe they looked a little bit more. Remixed, yeah. Yeah, remixed, exactly. It's like childhood remix. Exactly. I love that, yes. And it's been such a great creative outlet But there were times where, you know, I always wondered if I knew that I would have some guests that were from the Philippines, like, what are they going to think? Like, are they going to be like, oh, this is not Filipino food. This isn't Mm, isn't like what my, how my mom would make it. Because like you said, you know how Filipinos can, they tend to be, they can be very judgmental, at least maybe the older generations. So I always, in the back of my mind, I think if a Filipino person comes, that's more traditional, are they going to judge me? And It's okay to be judged and I'm always ready for that. But I remember this moment when I had a guest and she came to our supper club. So we hold these supper clubs where strangers can book seats. And this was pre-COVID. Strangers can book seats at our table and they don't really know what the menu is. They just tell me what their allergies are. And I cook a four-course dinner and everyone...
1: Ooh, sign together. me up. I <laughs> want this. Let's go to New Jersey, Nani. <laughs> yes, let's meet in New oh, Jersey. Jersey. I'm sorry, so down. Philadelphia, Philadelphia. She's in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Either way, still down.
2: <laughs> when you guys come out to the East Coast, you're, you've got a place here in Philly. So <laughs> yes.
1: Philadelphia.
2: But we host these supper clubs where people book seats and they share dinner essentially with a table full of strangers. And I remember... I had a guest who was Filipino and she was coming with her husband, but she was a friend of a former guest and he had texted me earlier. I was like, oh, she's from the Philippines. Like she's really excited. She hasn't had Filipino food. And I remember thinking in my head, dang, is she going to feel like this is not Filipino food. And she enjoyed every dish and went as she left that night. So usually it's like two or three hours because people just enjoy their time. We have great conversations with each other. We talk about culture. It's just, such a great like connecting experience yeah and as she left that day after dinner she was like thank you so much like this reminded me of home and i was like literally like mm. about to cry because that means it means so much that you can kind of like put your identity on a plate as a chef you you put your identity on on a plate and you don't know if your guest eating your food is going to like it but when they can taste something and they can taste a piece of themselves in that dish because mm. it reminds them of something, like that is so, it's so meaningful, like as, yeah. you know, as an artist, as as a chef or anything. So in that moment, what she said to me made me feel like she kind of saw who I was and why I was putting out there and she embraced it. So I feel like there's this like really amazing thing happening and Nani, you were saying that where, you know, being Filipina. Being Filipino American looks different on everyone, and we're at this point where we're really embracing what that looks like, and it's just it's awesome. Yeah, we're all little remixes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I want to add to this is that I feel like in many of our perspectives, where we kind of butt heads with traditional Filipinos as we're calling them here, and we say like, "Hey, they're judging us. Like they're so judgmental." And you know, I was just thinking just now that. Maybe the reason why they're so judgmental is maybe they're coming from a place of maybe discomfort, like maybe, you know, just like what you said, like, you know, the lady thanked you, you know, she felt like she had a taste of home. And I think that, you know, for a lot of the traditional Filipinos, like, that's really what they're looking for. And they project that on you. Like, it's maybe out of fear for them, like, oh, my gosh, like, what's happening to my culture? Is it disappearing here? You know? And so I, in a way, I don't know if that's true. But I think in my head, like, maybe that's why it comes off as if they're judging, because really, they're just feeling like maybe their reality or what's comfortable to them is being shaken up a bit. And maybe it's even triggering for them because it's coming from another Filipino. You know, they would expect, they kind of maybe expect other Filipinos to be like them, to have the same experiences like them. That's and, true. you know, obviously what we come to find is that, you know, we all have different definitions and experiences of being Filipino. And so when I look at it that way, I feel like I can empathize with them now. Or I can understand them now and be like, you know, just like what you said, Raquel, like it's okay to be judged. Like I'll take it, right. you know, cause it's not, it, I don't think it's even about you. It's, it's their own, you know, discomfort, like maybe feeling like, like it doesn't feel like home. Therefore I don't feel safe or they you know, therefore fill in the blank. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's point.
0: yeah. Anyway, I made that up. I don't know if it's true. That's my guess
1: though. <laughs> I think it is true. And I also think that that can, you know, we're not just speaking To or about like the elder people in our culture or like the older generations, I guess I should say, that that kind of empathy can go both ways. If, Mm -hmm. you know, like we, the elders do that to us, but we also do it to each other because we've learned it from them, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we can keep that like mindset, I guess, as like the template for how we approach conversations with people who are different from us for whatever reason, I think that we could all stand to learn a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very curious because you had mentioned, you know, in your story and growing up that you would identify most with being American. So what was that point for you where you were like, okay, I'm going to embrace my culture and I'm going to start Tita Emmys. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how did that, what was the story around that? I'm very curious to know, because it's like, I embrace my culture, but I'm not going to start a restaurant, you know, to like, (laughs) to prove it. So I'm just curious, like, how did you know, or how did it come to that place where like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to put my interpretation of Filipino into this cuisine? I think it
2: was more of a journey, honestly, I think, when I decided I'm going to do the the Emmys, I I want to put this out there. It was a couple years ago, and I was later in my 20s. But I think when things really started turning around, in terms of like, how I really saw my identity was probably what I went away for college. Mm -hmm. And I think likely because one really big thing was I was finally away from my family. And Growing up in my family, my parents were very strict. I was the Mm. oldest. I was the only girl. Mm. I wasn't allowed to sleep over friends' houses. I wasn't allowed to go out anywhere late. Like, I had very strict parents. And I think when I went to college, I went a little bit crazy. Because, you know, so I went to University of the Sciences here in Philadelphia. So I was away from home. It was my first time living away from home. And I was just living. (laughs) (laughs) I it. really coming to understand who I was, what I enjoyed. And I feel like at that point, when I was away from my family was when I really realized how big culture actually played in making me who I am. I think a big part of that was finally seeing that I grew up in this predominantly white town. My family, and it was predominantly wealthy, but my family actually lived in the part of town that was poor kind of like we were mm. just like our income. My parents were blue collar. We didn't have a lot of money, but they worked their asses off so that we could live there so that we could have a good life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my titas were there too, and they helped our family a lot. And I think it wasn't until I left home and I went to school that I realized that that moment I left school, that was everything my parents were working towards they Mm. wanted their kids because they never graduated from college they came to America they wanted their kids to have a good education and to continue into college and to have a good career and I realized when I was in college that that was like their first big milestone like my first kids in college like Mm. that's like I've been working so hard for this and it wasn't until I was away that I realized that was I was their American dream like yeah Me going to school, me finishing school, being the first of my family to graduate from college, being the first of my family to own a home. Like I literally was my parents' American dream. And I think that's so true for not just other Filipinos, but a lot of immigrants. Mm -hmm. And at that moment in college, when I came to that realization, it brought me so much closer to my family and really understanding why they were so strict. Mm-hmm. Why tradition was so important. Mm-hmm. And I think being an immigrant, being a Filipino, you center your life around family and around working hard. And I'm still very much, I think I get a lot of my heart work ethic from my parents. So I have a full time job in the pharmaceutical industry, but I also do get the Emmys on the side. So mm-hmm. I've always just worked So hard. And I think after college, and I started my career in the pharmaceutical industry, I was in consulting for a while. I feel like I started living my parents' American dream, and I was working a great career, and it was a great salary. It's very stable. It was kind of what every parent wants their kid to have like a really just stable career. And I realized I was living kind of the life that my parents wanted me to have but I wasn't getting the creative part of it, which I feel like a part of my personality. I just love connecting with people. I love being creative and I love entertaining. So after college, and as I got in later into my twenties, I found myself always entertaining and always cooking. And I tend to cook food that was nostalgic of my childhood. So I would start having a lot of dinner parties and it kind of evolved into this thing where I was spending a lot of time showing creativity through food. And it kind of evolved into this idea of, well, why don't I kind of see where this goes? And my friends and my family were like, Hey, you know, this is actually amazing. I think you should try it. And that kind of evolved into my supper club idea where pizza mm. the Emmys became now this reflection of my childhood, but then kind of this way for me to pay tribute to my mom and my Ditas that showed love through food because mm. in my family, It wasn't, I love you. It was, here's a bowl of sin and gong. I made you. And it's because it's my favorite. So that was the way that my family showed love. And now it's kind of like my parents gave me the ability to have this great career. And now I kind of want to pay tribute to them by embracing our culture and kind of showing how it became who I am today. And I try to
0: share that through food.
2: Beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think that as Filipino Americans, we can all relate to that experience of kind of just, you know, when we're younger, keeping our heads down, doing what our parents tell us, and kind of being told or conditioned not to stray off of that path. And like I said, there comes a certain point, either, you know, you have a breakup, you have a kid or in your instance, when you got to school or when you got your first stable job and you were like, this is really not my dream. This is really their dream. And once you realize that at least our gener- in our generation and maybe the one before us, we are really tokens of our parents' success. And that narrative is a narrative of assimilation. So naturally, We, you know, lead with that when we're interacting with other people. I think the first thing even now as we're like having these conversations and trying to change that narrative, we lead with like, oh, well, where are you from? What do you do? You know, like, what is it that Mm -hmm. you're doing? And I think that. The shift there that needs to happen that we're trying to achieve through, you know, conversations like these and other podcasts and projects like, you know, your Tita Emmys and however it manifests for you is changing that narrative from the approach of what do you do to what's your story, you know?
2: I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of why I've, I've taken to this supper club idea, you know, on top of my day job because we're able to share food with our guests but then it's that part that you can't get a traditional restaurant where you can talk about what you're eating and Mm -hmm. what inspired that dish and then there's this like beautiful moment where people who are not filipino can say well you know what this reminds me of this and and i ate this growing up and then there's a story that's involved and and it's so beautiful to share stories and to use Food as a vehicle because it's one of the few mediums that connects us all, despite who you are, where you're from, how old you are. So it's it's really great to use food to connect people so organically too, especially at a dinner table.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we definitely lead with food in Filipino culture. Whether you're <laughs> a traditional Filipino or a remixed Filipino American or somewhere else in the diaspora, we all can connect through food. And also these days, food is an art. You know, and so like you said, you can really put your identity or attempt to show someone your identity by putting a plate of food in front of their face. And it's interesting to see how that, you know, translates for you in these supper club experiences.
0: Yeah, we all got to eat. So might as well, (laughs) might as well uh, add add more to that. Tell a story, you know, connect with people. It's like, like you're going to get hungry no matter what. So you're eventually going to, especially if you cook well, it's like, I'm going to go back to... (laughs) I'm going to go back to you because you cook well so I I'm, I'm going to yes. connect with you for that reason. I think that's powerful and that's beautiful. I don't think I've, you know, heard of anyone talk about food in that way, you know, like using food as a medium of storytelling. So, you know, I can only imagine that that you have or are used to, I guess reserve to get a seat or table. I can only imagine what that experience is like or was like depending on the circumstances right now. So, speaking of the circumstances right now, So typically on our show, we separate what does life look like today and the life lesson you want to share. But since you didn't fill that part out, so this works in our favor, let's go ahead and talk about life today, pandemic style, and share with us, like, what are you up to nowadays? What keeps you busy or excited? However you want to share that. And after that, and I'll remind you in case you forget, because I know people can really get into this question, but what's the biggest lesson you feel like you've learned so far in 2020?
2: Loaded question.
0: <laughs> we'll start with part one. It's a Let's lot talk of about, questions. <laughs> I see. I guess I should break it up. Still, I'm going to keep that. This is good feedback. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead, Raquel. <laughs> so pandemic. So
2: here in Philly, we had the first lockdown mid March, and I work in an office in downtown. But starting mid-March, I was working from home. So my day-to-day looks like, and more recently, I've been crushed at work. I'm literally working 12, 15-hour days and just on my computer. So I need to do a better job of of standing up. I literally just got this chair. I If you guys can see my office chair, I just got this chair a week ago. But I've been using for the past five months an old dining chair. And my Mm. old, I need to be comfortable. That must be painful, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, so life has been working from home, Zoom calls, as you guys can imagine. I didn't see my family for a while. So even though they're an hour and a half away, my mom works at a nursing home. So Mm. she's high risk. So, you know, my husband didn't go see her for a while. I didn't see my dad for a while. It was kind of nuts. And my husband's in the military. Mm. So he was gone for two months. Mm. I was home with my dog for a couple months just us. And it's been a roller coaster of emotions, to say the least, because you have this dynamic of working from home and kind of being separated from your family, your friends, your colleagues. So relearning how to connect with people virtually was was a challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you add on now everyone's at home, you know, because of COVID, but then you add on this additional layer. Of the social unrest, and this is something that I felt so deep in the Philadelphia community. There's a lot of tension between POC in Philadelphia and everywhere, and really just tension between all groups, between minorities and majority. So I feel like I've been on a really a, an emotional roller coaster, learning how to manage day to day in this virtual environment, but then also trying to understand what can I do as a member of my community to make things easier for people that are having a hard time and for everyone that's having a hard time. And I feel like it's so important to understand in this world that we're living in right now, where there's so many things going on. You have a pandemic. You have so much social unrest against the Black community, against the Asian American community. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many things that I don't even know. I can't even begin to describe how I feel internally, except for exhausted. Exhausted from working, exhausted from trying to do my best with being a good friend and a good person and trying to be empathetic towards others. And then lastly, just trying to evolve with Dita Emmys on how can I continue my passion project in this new environment. So prior to the pandemic, we would host our supper clubs in our home Mm -hmm. and we would do our pop ups where we would to go over our restaurant kitchens, you know, maybe once or twice a month. But now it's now evolved into, in Philadelphia, you can't eat indoors yet. So we've been doing our supper clubs outdoors only on our rooftop. And we've now condensed it to only six guests. Hmm. So it is different, but it allows us to continue connecting with people, serving food. You know, we follow a lot of the same precautions that a restaurant would. So, it's been interesting. I think the one thing that you learn is that you have to be flexible and you have to evolve. And if you don't, you're going to have a hard time. And if you have a hard time, it's okay also, like you got to give yourself time to adapt. So, it's been interesting, but definitely an emotional roller coaster.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And, you know, my heart goes out to the hospitality industry, the restaurant industry in general. It's just, you know, I connected with someone recently who just graduated from a college to be a professional chef. (laughs) And, you know, right when COVID hit, and I've been following her story and like how much she's been struggling. It's like, oh, this is like the one thing that I felt like was consistent in my life and now I can't do it you know it's like now I have to reinvent myself even though I invested all these years to be specialized in this way and so it is a hard time and I just commend you for your flexibility and your adaptability and just continuing to you know do what you do with Dita Emmys and yeah I could just only imagine I mean, yeah, I think we all have Zoom fatigue, you know, <laughs> like we all are tired of staring at the screen. And, you know, I even have a friend where like they had a, a headache for a couple of days because of staring at the screen for hours on end, you know, and it's like, I totally get that. So, you know, obviously there's not an answer today. You know, we're not going to fix anything today. But I also like how you said, like, you know, it's OK if you're having a hard time, like a lot of us are having a hard time right now. Yeah. So those are my
2: thoughts are on, on that. It's tough all around, especially hospitality industry. And, and you say that, and I think about all the times that, you know, I scrolling on IG and I see another announcement from, you know, a restaurant in the Philadelphia community. And I'm sure you guys have too, where they're making an announcement that we have to close because they've yep. spent four or five months not making any income. So
0: right.
2: it's so heartbreaking because you want to be able to help where you can, but sometimes it's just not enough and you can't. of reverse things so it's such hard times it's so hard for me to even conceptualize sometimes how i feel about it because i feel like then something else happens and like Mm, yeah attention is now on on something else like 2020 has been the wildest year of my lifetime for
0: sure i feel like it's just it's so bizarre
1: yeah that literally reminds me of yet another meme that i saw (laughs) somewhere online but it was like a person just sitting in their living room on a Zoom call, like on their laptop, <laughs> and outside there's like this pano window that shows you like explosions and volcanoes <laughs> and war. And literally, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, so true. I feel that exact same way too. Like every time you sit down and try and unpack like what's going on and how do I connect to this and how can I contribute in this moment? Then you turn around and something else happens. And that's part of the reason why I just, have not had the capacity to get on Instagram like that lately. Like I just, I used to be on there all day posting stories and interacting with people and sending people things. And now it's like I get on there for five minutes and I'm already (laughs) like, okay, (laughs) I need to stop. I need to unplug now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I know it's difficult and I feel like we're being forced or pushed into such like a transformative moment. And so many people are not ready for it. You know what I mean? So many people aren't, they're fighting, they're resisting the, the urge to evolve. And, you know, in some instances you can't do that. Like restaurants, you know, if you don't have space to seat people outside, what do you do? And right. so it's it's an interesting time to be living through for sure. But I'm glad that you are actively trying to seek out ways that you can plug back in and at least offer some kind of assistance to the moment, even if it's just standing in solidarity, because that's also incredibly important.
0: Yeah, I think like if there's any silver lining to all of this, you know, just really seeing people coming together more than ever. I mean, obviously, it's very polarizing. There's some people that just want to destroy the nation and there's people that want to build up the nation. But, you know, at least in my experience, it's just nice to like see people have more of like a maybe philanthropic heart. Like they want to give back. They want to do something. They want to volunteer. You know, they want to give, they want to donate if they can. And so it is interesting. And, you know, even with all these current events, I am kind of wondering like, did these current events always exist? We just weren't paying attention, <laughs> in a way. But now that we're at home, you know, we have time to self-reflect and to, you know, to look at the news. Like even for myself, I've been into current events more so than ever for some reason. I mean, my husband's a big like history slash, you know, latest, you know, like the, what's going on in the news today kind of person. So now I feel like I could sort of have a conversation with him about those things. But yeah, these are very interesting times. But I thought I'd ask because I, I, I do want to try to make sure we end on some kind of positive note. Cause I don't want to end this like, yeah, the world sucks. K okay, Bye. You know, <laughs> 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 which it does. I, too, they can coexist like the world sucking and the world doing good things they can coexist. That's okay. The world is blowing up, but it's yeah. also revolutionizing itself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they can coexist. So Raquel, I, you know, with your experience so far, and I know you already mentioned like, you know, this time has really shown you to, to be more flexible and adaptable. Do you see like maybe any silver lining? Do you see anything positive coming out of the year for you?
2: Yeah, I think you were kind of touching on that already. Just, you know, being a part of the movement of bringing people together and things have gotten so bad that I think there are more people that are standing together and a lot of people tackling very uncomfortable conversations that maybe they wouldn't have in the past. For example within our own, you know, Filipino communities our Asian communities. There is a lot of things that you grow up acting on, or just, you know, the way that we're raised, there is are some sentiments of, in my opinion, anti-black rhetoric or just like prejudice that exists and it exists in the form of something as simple as your mom saying, Don't go outside because you're going to get dark, which is kind of brings this subtlety of if you're darker, you know colorism. It, colorism, exactly. Like mm-hmm. it's it's not ideal, right? If you're darker. So I think one of the greatest things that have come out of this pandemic is the ability to take a step back and slow down because we got nowhere to go. We're all at right. home. Right, to right, right. To really self-reflect and think about how we see the world mm-hmm. and is the way that we see the world today is that truly how we. To see the world or is there room for us to change our perspective and can we change it by listening to others and by understanding mm. i think that's probably one of the best things i think that at least for me that i've witnessed is really more people standing up for themselves but also for each other and truly seeing that those two can coexist because i've seen instances where people have especially in our in our asian community because we've been receiving a lot of racism with COVID. Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. and it's tough too on our front. And it's like I've seen a lot of instances where Asian Americans say, "I can't fight for BLM because Asian lives are more important," or we need stand up for it, as if they can't coexist.
0: Right, it can,
2: it absolutely can. And us fighting for different communities, I don't think in any way takes away from our own struggle. I feel Mm -hmm. like we can we can do those two things together. So I think I've spent a lot of time trying to encourage this notion of solidarity because, you know, one struggle against one marginalized group will, you know, fighting towards that will help others as well. So I think that's probably the best thing, just this ability now for people to connect and we're putting more effort into connecting because we can't see each other, you know, physically. So I feel like the world has, at least become a little bit more understanding and empathetic. And then of course there's the opposite, but Mm -hmm. I'm seeing more of the let's understand each other. Let's have a conversation so we can see each other's perspectives, even if it's not the most comfortable conversation.
1: For sure. Oppression is oppression and discrimination is discrimination. So however we experience those, you know, in our different communities, we are entitled, you know, of course, always entitled to those personal experiences and no one should be trying to negate anyone's experience or minimize anyone else's experience based on their own. But the more that we listen to others and find ourselves in their struggle or relate to their experiences the more you know we realize it is a shared struggle and we do need to come together in order to dismantle it
0: I was just thinking trying to figure out how to articulate this but like you ever have those like (laughs) those friends that like I don't know just kind of like get into a fight just to get into a fight like to argue just to argue and I feel like because they can't do that in person anymore they become a lot nicer, you know, it's like that, like sometimes people want to connect through anger, right? Like they get upset and stuff like that. But I feel like, I feel like there's something about this pandemic now where people like they can't do that to people anymore, especially in person. And so I think people are becoming a little nicer too. That's my hope. You know, that's my hope that with friends who have acted that way or reacted in that kind of way to people are like, go, like, I miss you though. You know, (laughs) like I miss you and I, I don't want to show it through anger anymore. (laughs) I hope that made sense. (laughs) But that was just, it does. It
2: does. I think yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I could see instances where that is probably at play.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're we're being forced to find different ways to communicate and express ourselves. I think is what it is, and so yeah. we're seeing. People, you know, get agitated in their inability to do that, which is where we see them projecting, you know, all kinds of negativity and nonsense onto other people. And then there are the people who are trying to heal themselves Mm -hmm. and their communities. And those are the people that are, you know, spreading the love that's so needed right now in this moment of complete freaking chaos.
0: Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Well, what a powerful conversation. Raquel, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing with us a little bit about your background and just the good work you're doing. I'm curious because, you know, Emmys is not in your name. So is that inspired by someone in your life? Oh, yeah. My mom's name is Ermelita.
2: So her name is Emmy. So my mom's not quite old enough to be a Lola, so if I called it like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you made it Tita, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, I, uh, so Tita Emmy's is after my mom.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. How did beautiful. she react to that when you told her you were, you were gonna name your business after her?
2: Like any Filipino mom, uh, so one of the funniest times was. When, so we're not, you know, a full, we're not a restaurant where we do pop-ups and we mm-hmm. do our silver clubs. But I remember Philly Mag had written us up in one of their articles, places mm-hmm. to eat Filipino food. In Philly. And I was like, oh my God, we're not even a restaurant, but they put us in there. So I was excited. So I took a screenshot of the piece that they wrote about the, the Emmys and I sent it to my mom. Mm-hmm. And I sent her the picture. And the first thing she said to me, and this kind of, I feel like this kind of wraps up how she feels about it. She was like, You're not a chef. They wrote Chef for Cow. You're not a chef. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh you like, but I'm in the article. But, oh
0: yeah,
2: is, you know, we're in the magazine like this And your is- name your name is in it. Like, like- <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like she low key is excited about it.
1: <laughs> low key. <laughs> Emphasis on the low-key. Loki. <laughs> low
2: because you know, Filipino moms can be judgmental out of love, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. That she always asked me to make her food. So she always <laughs> me, oh, can You make me this. So I feel like she's proud. Even if he doesn't say I'm proud of you, I, I can feel it. So she says in her own way. Yes. Exactly. She says it in her <laughs> by own asking way. for food. <laughs> she, she, show, she shows love through like acts and services. So yeah, I think she's, um, I know she's happy about it and she's proud. So that's all,
0: that's all I need yeah for sure it's like yeah i mean if she's asking you for food that says something so that that's enough you know it's like if that's how she showed her love to you and then now she's requesting that yeah now she's requesting that of you it's like that's her way of saying like you love me that you know feed me like show me that you love me now that i think about it i don't think i know any
1: other filipino moms who would ask (laughs) their kid to make them food
0: right that's so true that's true yeah my mom would not ask me to make her food (laughs) my mom would not ask there'd be food food. on the table before i even come home it's like exactly how how did you have the time to work a full-time job and have food on the table it's like she's just magical Yeah, mom's a magician
2: moms man they've been like oh so amazed by them
0: yeah for sure may we be like them one day may we be like them one day well Raquel yeah like I said what a wonderful conversation we've had today for people that want to connect with you and learn more about you how can they find you online I would say
2: Instagram so we have a I have my food page get the Emmys and then I have my personal page Rack City with a Q since my name is Raquel so I would say, say the gram is probably the easiest way to connect
0: perfect awesome well, let's see, Nani. Any any closing thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think that was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Raquel.
2: Thank you, guys. You guys are so chill. I hope one day I'll meet y'all in person. Yes, <laughs> yeah. when we well, come to
1: Philly for a yeah. supper club experience. Yeah, <laughs> for
2: real. You guys,
0: Philly. Uh, have, have
2: you guys have either of you been here? I have no,
0: not. No, I I did. So I'm in I'm in Virginia Beach, and my husband and I we drove up to. Was it my, no, maybe it was my, that was my mom. Oh my God, it was my mom. Okay, (laughs) speaking of moms. So we were were on a road trip, laughing now. We were on a road trip to like Canada. It was like a full week. I I told Nani about this like episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, we went on this road trip. It was the first time like I spent like 24 seven with my mom in like forever. Wow. So that was interesting. But anyway, <laughs> we went all the way up to Canada to see family up there. Like, okay, this is what happened. Cause like my sister has this sh- had a show in New York. That's where she lives. She's like, I'm performing in New York, you know, comes out and support. And I was like, okay, cool. This is just going to be a weekend thing. So like my mom messages me, she's like, Hey Jen, I booked a flight to your place a week before the play. So we can go on a road trip. Like she already booked it. <laughs> she just decided it herself. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, mom. So we did that for a week. That was great. I normally don't confide in my husband in certain things, but when I was on that road trip, I did. I was like, honey, I need you right now. So he was very like, wow, this must be serious if you're going to like – talk to me right now like, like i'm you're... about to rip my eyeballs out of their <laughs> sockets he's like he's like you miss me right now <laughs> just, it was really funny <laughs> but anyway so we we did this week-long road trip and then we saw my sister's performance and on the way down we went we dropped by philly because we wanted to man i'm like totally forgetting what that one tourist spot is but we did drop by there for like a minute you and, hmm? did you get cheesesteaks or something no i i have to oh my god i have to like like scroll back through my pictures but we went to like some historical like place like historical spot. liberty
2: bell probably i'm guessing
0: the liberty yes thank you okay we went yeah we went to, thank you see okay so we went to the liberty bell and like, like here's the thing like like my mom she doesn't care about history she just likes taking pictures so oh, yeah. like so like we were like i think we were in new york and we we're driving you know from new york to philadelphia and like i just remember like my mom was like i want to see the liberty bell and i was like like and, and it was like hours away. Like I, I forgot, I don't know how long the hours were, but I had a feeling that it probably would have closed by the time we showed up. And I was like, no, mom, we're not gonna make it. She's like, I wanna see the Liberty Bell. And I was like, oh, okay. So no, like, no, you know, I'm driving. Persistent. <laughs> oh, trust. okay, so this is what happened. So we go, we go to the Liberty Bell and <laughs> and like my mom knows nothing about the Liberty Bell. Okay, she, lo- she knows Jack, about, I love you, mom. She knows Jack about the Liberty Bell, but she wanted to go to this Liberty Bell. So, and by the time we got there, there was like 10 minutes left okay it was like 10 minutes left to like actually go inside I was driving I didn't know where parking was so I dropped off my mom I was like okay mom like you know go she's like where is it I was like I don't know there's the tourist thing like go there so then she goes there and then like I drive all this way I don't get to see the Liberty Bell like I don't get to see it like at all but like she she managed to make it in like I think like five minutes left wow. take her photo <laughs> yeah she took her photo and I'm here trying to find parking you know <laughs> which anyway, is not that, yeah. easy
2: in- philadelphia
0: it was it was not easy because there was a festival that day too like there was something going on like in that area so anyway that was my experience in philly for a little bit we
1: We gotta uh, redo uh, that
2: (laughs) one weekend i'll take you guys to where all the best places to eat and then i'll cook for you too
1: yes yes that would be fun when we can reconvene with doing we We're going to try and do like maybe an annual in-person like event for the TIFA project, which we started last year. But now with With
0: COVID COVID. and everything,
1: that's probably not going to happen for a while. But whenever those restrictions are lifted, I think that's a great idea. I'm very, very down for that. I would love that you guys and are. And we awesome. can skip the lib- we can skip the Liberty Bell, Jen. No,
0: I want that's the thing. I want to see the Liberty Bell. Okay, <laughs> we can go to the Liberty Bell. My mom took she's like, here's all the photos. And I was like oh. I was just so jealous. I was like, I was like, I care more about history than you do, you know? And like you just And I don't even know why we're here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I like we had to pay a toll, you know, like we we did we went through all this, like all these loops, like or whatever, just to get there, all these obstacles. And and, and oh, I didn't God. get to see like a minute of it, you know. That's hilarious. So, yes, I do want to go back, and I want to I want to see the Liberty Bell. So <laughs> we're gonna other things. There's a bunch of cool stuff
2: you guys would love in Philly. So
0: yeah, yes. cool, cool. Let's I love do it. it. Awesome. Well, I didn't realize we were still recording. So let me go ahead. and. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. No, that'll be this will be fun to keep in, in the recording. No, I love it. I'm just this is me. Venting. I love you, mom. She <laughs> listens to my stuff. And that's a funny thing, too. Is like I, I talk about my mom a lot like, in a lot of things, like, like, other shows, and I'm very transparent about her, and then yeah. I share it with her, and she's, like, oh, that was a good interview, and I was, like, you don't have, like, anything to you're say like, about it. You're, like, you're not it. offended? No. Yeah, I was like, you're, I was like, that's how, that's why I love my mom, like, yes. that's why, like, I've just, her resiliency, or I don't know, I don't know if it's just, like, selective hearing or something, but <laughs> I love her for that, because I could never hurt her feelings, therefore, yeah. no one can hurt her feelings, you know, and I, I don't well, have to worry about Well, just to clarify, about we're not talking... Smack about no, no. auntie.
1: <laughs> okay, we love you,
0: auntie. Yeah, we, lo- we love her. I just she's just fun to talk about. She's just she's a caricature for sure. Yes. So. Yes. But uh, awesome. Well, this was a fun conversation, Raquel. Thank you again so much for being on our show, and Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. Yes, thank you, Raquel, for sharing with us and contributing to our
2: project. Thank you guys so much. This was awesome. I had fun talking with you guys. This is so chill. <laughs>
0: Yes. So glad to hear that. That's always like a a good thing to know. It's like, yes, we were chill. We were easy. To our listeners, thank you again so much for listening. And if you want to engage with us or you want to connect with Raquel, you can see all that contact information in our show notes of this episode or visit our website, tifaproject.com. With that said, thank you all so much. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye-bye.